The content of this podcast, Swingin' It, is for informational and entertainment purposes only. The content discussed is not intended for investment advice nor a recommendation. Investing in any stock, security, bond, ETF, option contracts, or futures has substantial risk of loss. Chris McBride and John Burrell are not certified financial or investment advisors, nor are they registered brokers. By listening to this podcast, you acknowledge that neither Chris McBride or John Burrell will be held responsible for any loss that you may occur from acting on the topic or discussion in this podcast. These topics are not meant for recommendation. Chris McBride and John Burrell may hold positions in securities discussed in this podcast. everyone welcome to the just swinging it podcast my name is john burrell and i'm uh here with fat baby funds and chris is out today again so you know we're going to struggle through this one as well like we normally do uh I, we really rely on him to host the show and get things going and uh fat baby provides educational content and i provide technical support but we do have uh, you know some conversation uh, that we're going to have today, I think is going to be pretty good for everyone. We have some developing things going on in the market. So before we get into that, though, uh, how are you doing, Fat Baby? I'm doing real good. I'm doing real good. Staying busy, um, trying to avoid uh, the downturn in the market and uh, figure everything out and just just keep learning. Heard that. Yeah, that's all we can really do is just keep learning uh, as the markets continue to teach us lessons. Um, so um, before we get into the markets, what, uh, how is your predictions in uh, the NFL playoffs going so far? Doing okay, doing okay. I think I, I mostly had uh, most of the winners going on. It's been very... Uh top heavy and i always bet against the cowboys anyways just because uh mike mccarthy's their coach now and he used to be the coach <laughs> of the Tigers. so watching him lose is fun so i had that one right and then i had the the rams right i think the rams are a really good team people hate on them a little bit i think people don't like stafford as a quarterback he's a little hot and cold but i think he's really good and then the afc is crazy i i have no idea what's going on in the afc i think i i think next week i think people are too hot on the bills I think the they beat the crap out of a crappy Patriots team. Right. And I think next week they're gonna they're gonna run into not that the Chiefs are anything super special this year, but I think uh, people set their heights a little too high on the Bills, um, and they're only an okay team. But then just, there, there's other teams like I have no idea, like the Titans. I can never figure the Titans out. They, but so they they got the buy, and I don't know how. <laughs> yeah it's been some interesting football a lot of blowouts um you know the the Bengals won so that was you know good for their organization it's been a long time since they won a playoff game and um you know it's always nice to see the Cowboys get beat <laughs> and um 
it's nice to see the Patriots lose. You know, we got some different teams in the playoffs this year versus what we had before. Um, not to get into sports betting too much, it's been a topic that's kind of been on the brain, but how, how much of uh, sports betting are you doing these days? Not, not a ton. So it's not legal where I'm at, so I can only do the daily sports gambling. Um, so I'm, I'm just excited. I'm excited for when it does become legal here. It's got to be just a matter of time. Um, everywhere else seems to be slowly getting on board. And I, I think New York's on board now. Um, so it's cool to see all that. But so doing a little bit of daily fantasy, but not too much. So one of those things where I throw 20 bucks at it every every weekend and then makes the games more interesting yeah yeah and then yeah i always do the super risky win a million dollar one so <laughs> so it's one of those things where you you sit there and you watch and you hope for the first 25 minutes and then someone someone gets hurt and you're screwed so. <laughs> it's it's very hard uh, to predict that in markets as well um yeah uh so Basically, uh, my week has been pretty good. Um, you know, getting back to 100% after having COVID, uh, went and played ball today, came home, had some dinner, uh, took me a good shower and, uh, and ready to go. Um, getting into the markets a little bit, the markets, um, definitely seeing some uh, selling off uh, in the broad market. And, um, you know, there's still a lot of debate on when exactly the Fed is going to, you know, do their hikes and, and if they're going to do it into a potential slowdown. What is your, uh, what's some of the risks that you're looking out for in the market right now? And what what's kind of your plays right now? I know, I know for the most part, you're, you know, very, very long term, but are you doing anything in the short term? Yeah, so I'm looking at it, what, what I think is going to keep happening is as long as there's this interest rate fear out here, all the unprofitable companies, the companies who really are relying on their growth, uh, all that kind of stuff, I think they're going to keep getting hit pretty hard um, until they really do turn profitable or the interest rate fears start to go away. So I'm sort of trying to and for the most part, I try to avoid companies like that in general, um, but really, really staying away from them and the higher valued ones. I, I'm doing uh, the stocks I, I find the most reasonable values in. So I'm buying a lot of Amazon, a lot of Facebook, a lot of that kind of stuff, which is a little bit lower risk. Um, no crazy valuations on them. And then uh, doubling down on some beating up stocks as well. So that's always uh, always fun to buy the dip on some of these and hopefully hopefully I've got it right but diving into some new ones as well because there's a lot of companies that are just destroyed like Robinhood stock is pretty crazy they're down to $14 from a high of $85 wow and they they just IPO'd in the past year as well so just imagine all those people who thought they were going to be rich who were working at Robinhood and now the lockups are just probably expiring pretty uh, past couple of months and they're just getting destroyed. So looking at stocks like that, where I never thought they were going to be at this price level and just really trying to decide, are, do the stocks interest me enough uh, for the risk? Is it worth it? All that kind of stuff. I haven't uh, um, bought any of those yet, but definitely taking a look, being open to it. Cause I, I, I just keep 
thinking back, I don't know if you remember this, to when Snapchat went through a whole huge dip. And there were some fears that they had users stagnating and the stock just went to like way, way, way cheaper than it was. Huge dip. Um, But it just turns out people were still on it all the time and they made a few tweaks and then all of a sudden it's been a quick 10x return. I'm trying to just keep my eyes open to stocks like that where the companies are going through some problems and the market has just beaten them down and try to be open to that. So I'm looking at some stocks and really just trying to trying to be open to that and be a little uh, contrarian to what everyone else is doing. But it's one of those things you got you to gotta really think it through. So I'm not rushing into anything, just trying to be open, trying to, trying to keep my eyes open and see what, what's out there. Yeah, heard that. Um, so I, I do like the cheap plays. I think the cheap plays, um, a lot of times the market overreacts um, to some news that's maybe bad or maybe a company's doing bad like you were saying, but it's probably not as bad as what the market's really pricing in. Um, one thing uh, is for, aside the stocks that I'm really looking at here is in 2018 or going into two, the end of 2018, we had some um, hikes, some Fed hikes, and then the market kind of had a, you know, it, it, it started throwing a fit after these hikes and the Fed had to start to reverse in the beginning of 2019 and start to lower the rates right after they had hiked them a few months prior. Do you think that that could be um, kind of the situation we're going into now? I think a lot of people, uh, including myself, is kind of thinking that, hey, they're going to hike rates and the market's just not going to like it. And a lot of these companies... Um, you know they're 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 basing it on i guess i guess the more time goes on we're pushing out risk farther and farther outside of the risk curve and you know we're trying to bring that we're trying to bring those gains closer in time by lowering interest rates but i just i feel like we keep finding a lower and lower ceiling that interest rates go to we keep making higher lows um or uh, yeah, yeah, higher uh, as we go. And so I wonder where the ceiling is now. I think in 2018, we got up to, what was it like 3% or something? So I'm curious, uh, what do you think the Fed's gonna do for one? And then also, what do you think your, what do you think the overall market like the S&P is gonna react to that? So it really, to me, all comes down to interest rates. And right now, I think what the Fed is doing is buying time and trying to figure out really what's going on with inflation overall and trying to figure out, because at first they said it was uh, temporary and then it was transitory. Now they're saying it's going to be permanent, but not this bad. So I think they don't know what's going on right now. Um, There's a, a ton of data out there, which points in 40 different directions. Because when you look at people's savings rates, they it spiked and now it's gone way back down. So at a certain point, did is some of this inflation just driven by that? And then 
everything else going on. So I think a lot of it comes down to inflation. And in my mind, I don't, I don't see it slowing down. So what I think the, the Fed's going to do is sort of keep buying a little time, then slowly keep raising and hoping that uh, interest rates yeah, inflation does slow down because they don't want to wreck the market. And, you know, people are so, I, I think people worry too much about interest rates um, It overall, just because we know it's not going to be anything crazy. They're not going to raise interest rates 80 times in the next two years. Right. We, know, we know that interest rates are most likely going to be relatively favorable to what they've historically been um it's just a matter of whether it's close to zero or it's close to one or close to two or whatever and i feel like a lot of that fear is already priced in um but to me what the fed is doing is you just hear them they're hawkish and they're bullish and they're all over the place i think that what they are doing is they don't know what they're doing and they're right. just trying to figure it out and try to figure out the whole inflation thing. Cause I know they don't want inflation above 10%. So if we keep rising and it was 6%, now it's at 7%. If it just keeps going up, um, then, then we're going to have some real problems. But overall, what I'm seeing is that I, I don't think it's going to keep going up. I don't see it slowing down. I see a lot of people getting raises. I see a lot of uh, price increases across the board. Um, but I don't, I don't expect anything too crazy, but I do expect the market to overreact in the short term when it does happen, because there's going to come a time when it's actually going to happen. And if inflation keeps getting worse and worse, they're going to, they're going to be a little more hawkish. And I expect the market to keep overreacting like it always does. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, I agree with a lot of what you said there. I think that, you know, most of everything is priced in with the exception of the markets overacting a little bit in either direction, like you were saying. Um, I do think the Fed doesn't know what the hell they're doing most of the time. And, and they're, they're just lagging to the data that's been out you know a couple months ago they're always looking backwards instead of forwards and i feel like it's really hard for any political entity even though they're not supposed to be political uh, in a lot of ways they are and they're driven by the same things that the politicians are and they're appointed by politicians and so on and so forth so it'll be interesting to see what happens and with the current moves in the market i think a lot of people probably are um you know, fixating on on this a little bit, but I, I will say that when I look at the the market and a couple of the models that I've built, um, which is it, it's really not telling me. You know, I'm a, I'm a momentum trader for the most part um, when it comes to um, most of my short term trades, and then I also do a little bit of um, macroeconomics like forecasting um, for some of my longer stuff but most of my stuff is based off of momentum uh, trading so as things start to go higher with declining volatility and um, spikes in volume to one side then usually uh, that's when I, I get in and I try to cut 
losses quickly and, and try to run um, trends out as long as possible. But so when I look at, you know, the S&P 500 right now, and actually this might be a good time, I'm going to try to share my screen here and we'll just go over some of these markets real quick. Um, so looking at the market, you know, volatility, just a couple months ago, volatility was um, a lot higher than it is right now on the S&P 500. If you, if you look at the VIX index, VIX is currently at 22.79. And just a couple of months ago, it was in the low 30s. So we haven't really got a complete breakout in volatility yet. And um, I said this wrong on um, interest rates. It's... Um, lower highs is what I meant, not higher lows. But anyways, so we're seeing that in the VIX too. We're seeing lower highs in the VIX. So we're not really at a breakout point as far as like momentum goes uh, in the volatility of the S&P 500. That being said, um, we're starting to break down in the S&P 500, but this isn't being anything different than the recent dips that we've seen before, which you just bomb. So right now, I think the volatility, which is very good at project, projecting um, within like 68% of the time of one standard deviation where the market's going to be, it does a really good job of that. But once you see volatility break out on a trending basis, uh, that's where you get those outlier moves and things move very quickly to the downside. And we're not really seeing that as of yet, even though a lot of people are probably starting to fear like we were talking about with the Fed they're probably fearing that a little bit too much than maybe they should be and we're not really seeing anything tangible in the S&P right now if you look at um, the 10-year Treasury note index they're breaking out to two-month highs definitely some momentum there um, however a lot of the move is already priced in of what the Fed is going to do, especially on the, which they don't move the, the 10, it's mostly the two, the two year um, in the short term. So a lot of that movement in treasuries across the board that's moving higher has already been priced in. The only thing that I see that is possibly a good buying opportunity in bonds because there's so many people that short bonds and long yields right now and to, to a very extreme when you look at the futures and options uh, positioning by big institutions there's a lot of people short bonds right now and when you get a lot of people on one side of the trade they probably have overreacted like uh, fat baby was saying and um, like we've been saying here is you know people are probably overreacting to what the Fed is doing and so th there possibly is some opportunity in the short term in some in some treasuries uh, treasury bonds um, now one thing I'd also like to point out is the oil futures contracts usually in bear markets, you'll see a sell-off in oil as well. Oil in our economy, our broad uh, stock indexes, usually trade in about the same direction. So if there is something to be worried about right now, it, the the crude oil is not seeing it. So if, if I was asking Mr. Market what we are to expect right now, I would say that 
one of these things are aligned. So either oil is over um, valued at this point and due for a sell off, or the market's going to bounce back and this is going to be another uh, buy on the dip opportunity. I will say with all the factors that's going on with the interest rates, the Fed, um, evaluations being at all time highs for the most part, other than in a few um, stocks, maybe uh, IPOs, maybe small cap stocks. Um, you're seeing a sell off in tech right now. So there is some places where stocks are getting beat up and, and there might be some good opportunities there. But as far as the broad market goes, as far as evaluations, we're at significantly higher levels than we've ever been uh, based on PE ratios and based on all kinds of different market things that you can look at historically. And so I would say it could continue going from here, but the market's not signaling anything to me that you can really act on right now in the short term. I, I would say that when you start to see crude oil roll over to the downside, the volatility in the S&P 500 start to break out, then, then, you, then you probably need to start worrying a little bit and maybe you lighten your book up and maybe move towards cash or bonds a little bit. And I could see us going into a, a market sell-off, but right now I think it's too early to call. I think this might be one of the opportunities where you maybe don't buy the dip and you maybe hold out for right now. I've been very bullish, and I think everyone on this podcast, um, if I'm not mistaken, has been pretty bullish for the most part. I mean, we've had uncertainties uh, for sure, but we, I think all of us have been pretty bullish, uh, myself included. But, you know, I'm starting to think, you know, maybe maybe we start to have uh, 15, 20, 25 percent sell off again um, if, you know, the right things align. So um, that, that's basically my rundown of the markets right now. So uh, do you have any uh, opinions on anything I said there? Yeah, I think the I think what you're saying on bonds is pretty interesting overall. It's. It's crazy when, like, I've still been looking at it. It's just like a market I don't understand well enough, but I've been looking at it and reading some interesting different takes just because it's not moving in the way I would have expected it to, just on based on my very elementary understanding of bond markets. So trying to learn on that front and really understand that um, and start to decide, is there is there a place for bonds in my portfolio? I, I keep a lot of uh, in my Robinhood, but I also have a uh, section of my wealth where I keep it in sort of an all weather fund type thing. This one's in portfolio, um, those kind of things. But those have a decent amount of bonds. And the question is, historically, those have done well. But in the future, when you start to look at bonds, it's, is, is the past uh, representative of what the future is going to be on bonds? Sort of interesting to think about. I, I think, you know, and this is my opinion, I don't have any, you know, most of, I run, all my momentum strategies are based on uh, momentum. Um, and they, they trade on a very short term basis. But the thing that I would, that, that, you know, I've kind of seen being in the market so far and and to what I can understand to the best of my abilities is I don't think that the Fed is capable of raising rates or allowing the 
the bond markets to to rally uh, to rally i mean not the the bonds but the the yields because yields and bonds move in opposite directions of each other i don't think that they can let interest rates um rise too much because you, you would have a housing collapse you would have um you know, a lot of companies that are unprofitable. If you start uh, offering guaranteed risk-free money versus uh, having risk, then they become unfavorable. And there's a lot of companies that they wouldn't have as high evaluation as they would if there's guaranteed um, bonds that you can buy at, at guaranteed interest rates that would be higher than inflation. So, I don't think that they'll let interest rates get that high. And it seems like every time we try to raise rates uh, after, you know, a year or so of, uh, or a year and a half of raising rates, they're, they're going back the other way and we have sell-offs in the market. So I don't think that we're going to see anything that's going to continue from that. But I will say at some point, just like everything, it stops working. Now, obviously, owning bonds for the last 40 years is, has been a fantastic trade. But I think what we're, we're seeing is, um, you know, once you have something that works, it's like the diminish, what's the law of diminishing returns or whatever it's called, I think, if, if that's correct. Yeah, diminishing marginal returns. Yeah, so, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, at, if something works the first time, um and you continue to do it it has less and less effect it's kind of like a trading strategy that works for a little while and then everyone else figures out it works and then everyone's on the same side of the trade and it makes it stop working because you because then you start getting efficiency back in so you know when we first had the the 2008 crash i think we printed or or whatever quantitative easing it was like 800 uh, billion and then you know as time has went on you know they done uh, qe one two three four uh up until they started raising interest rates and um i think they started raising interest rates what in the end of 2017 or something or in 2017 uh to get off of zero from the 2008 is that correct Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, so in my opinion, I think that, you know, they, they, they started doing quantitative easing, and every time they've had to do it, they've had to do more and more of it. And it seems like we have to do 10 times as much to get the same effect that we did when we first done it. So, I mean, we, and from the pandemic, we went from... Well, in 2008, we went from less than a trillion dollars of quantitative easing all the way to would we print like four or five trillion uh, with all the bills that came out and we gave out money and all kinds of stuff. I mean, I can't remember. It's in the trillions though, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it just kept on coming. Yeah, so I mean, at some point, they're going to do it to where they cannot possibly do it because in 2008 we didn't really see any inflation or really any big pushback from from it other than you know people were pissed that they were doing it and we thought the world was going to come to the end because of, and i you know i remember you know my parents and stuff talking about them printing money and quantitative easing and all this stuff but it didn't really do anything 
until now have we really seen inflation at any significant levels and that's by the government's uh you know their own metrics that they're using seven percent it, it to my opinion in my opinion the inflation is much higher than that but even off of their numbers we're seeing higher inflation than we've ever seen and it took a lot of money to to make it happen but at some point you print enough money that i mean you can see other countries have, have tried this and eventually you print enough money and it goes to zero I mean, at some point, there's a limit. Uh, like most things, there's a there's a limit to how much money you can get away with before people just say, you know what, this stuff is worthless. And I don't know what number that is that we could get to that point. And that, that's probably one of the cases for cryptocurrency, you know, that we've talked about before with Bitcoin and everything. But I think that, you know, it went, get back on the topic of bonds, I think you know we continue to raise rates less than we did the the, the previous um, financial crash. So we get up to a level and we don't get back to that previous level, and then they have to bring it back down. And so I think you know it's probably going to work a couple more times of financial blowups. It's pro bonds are going to work until the free markets say we're done with the Fed. We're not going to allow you to do this or the money's going to be worthless. And the Fed at that point will say we can't make the money worthless because we can't allow hyperinflation. And that's when bonds will stop working and, and rates will happen. And hell, we might even have a Great Depression. I'm not trying to, you know, make people, um, you know, depressed or anything. But I'm just saying that as far as bonds go, I would say bonds are probably safe for now, in, in my opinion, this ain't financial advice or anything, but I would say bonds are, you know, I've been kind of talking about this the last couple of weeks. I, I would say bonds is going to be a, a pretty safe place. Um, probably we have another crash or two left before they're worthless. I mean, when you, when we get to the double digits of inflation and they continue to print 10 more trillion, then I would say, okay, you know what? Bonds are probably worthless and cash is probably getting to be worthless and we probably need to go to a different asset class. Well, I, it's just hard because like I, I've tried to look at it. So the, the government's printing money like crazy, but the way it works is it's not, the, the way it flows is very confusing. And that's why a lot of people have said quantitative easing never should have driven inflation. And that's why right now what's happening is a little confusing as well, where is it all just pent up from that? Is it quantitative easing? And when you watch the flows, I forgot what it was. It was something to do with like the, the way quantitative easing works. It's also complicated. Yeah, it's very complicated. So basically, to my understanding, they print money and they purchase bonds with it. And and they give um, the banks the treasury reserves. So they buy treasuries with it, and they also accredit uh, banks with reserves. And basically, to my understanding, that gives them more margin. So, you know, if the banks are up against it, the banks need a little bit more cash to um, basically not de default. I mean, it's basically to give them collateral that they need to stay. I mean, 
from what I understand, it's to give them collateral so they can stay solvent. So they purchase these treasuries and they do um, they do cash swaps uh, like overnight markets where the bank says, okay, well we have cash, but we we need collateral or uh, or we or we need cash and we have collateral. A lot of times it's the banks need cash and they have collateral, and so the the Fed steps in and purchases either cash uh, and give bonds or they or they take away bonds. And and I'm what I think that it really does is it doesn't directly cause inflation. It it indirectly causes inflation because if you so when I think back to uh, my parents, uh, when I was little, my parents actually saved enough money to where they could retire based on um, the amount of savings interest. When you actually got paid to put your money in a bank, I know it's a crazy concept to all our viewers out there that probably have never got paid interest. But when I think back to my parents, you know, they were getting... Um, like eight percent interest and they had worked it out to where they had saved enough money and lived below their means enough to where they could live off that eight percent uh return in a savings account and then as they started to lower rates and things happened they could no longer they could no longer live off of guaranteed money in a savings bank not taking risk and so what ended up happening is they lowered it enough to where our parents said okay we we're starting to get into a principal. We have to go spend this money. So what it really does, in in my opinion, is it forces people to take more risk that they wouldn't have normally took. So my parents bought a convenience store. Uh, they started um, a small carport business at in with the uh, convenience store that they bought, and they added on a lot of things. And so that caused them to spend and drive up asset prices because the Fed has bought treasuries to bring rates down. And so instead of people parking money that wouldn't normally park, they have to go and spend it or spend it or they have to, because if your money becomes worth less and less and say there's an item that you want to buy, say, you know, I buy guitars and musical equipment. If I wait, the longer I wait to buy that musical instrument, the more it's going to cost me. So if I save money for that, I'm actually losing money because it's going to take more money to buy that same guitar that I could have bought six months ago, $50 cheaper. And and my raise isn't going up fast enough. I mean, it, it wages lag a little bit with inflation. It takes a while to get it with the free market. But not trying to go down all these side roads, but just trying to make these points is in my opinion, the Fed purchases treasury bonds, they bring down interest rates, and then people that would normally park money in risk-free assets now have to go buy stocks. They have to go buy businesses. They have to go buy real estate. And it pumps all these asset prices up higher than they would naturally be in a free market. And they don't allow the bond market and the and the stock market to settle these prices. They come in as buyers themselves and they manipulate the the biggest market in the world, which is the bond market. And that pushes people out on risk. That put that makes people want to spend and not save because you're not incentivized to save. And people do usually what they're incentivized to do and what they're not accountable to. So if if people aren't incentivized to save, because if you save money, you're basically losing at this point. You know, I could buy 60 eggs for under 
a year and a half ago. I, those same 60 eggs cost me $10. And that's more than, I mean, that's just eggs. And I know inflation's on a basket of things. But when I look across the board at all the expenses that I see between rent, between food, um, between uh, musical equipment, between all the thing, between gas, between all the things that I have to buy, I've seen more than a 7% inflation rate. And so in my opinion, even though printing cash doesn't directly put that cash in the market uh, to drive up in inflation, it drives people further out on the risk curve, which drives up asset prices and disincentivizes people to save. That's that's my opinion in a very long answer. So I'm curious to see what your thoughts is on that. Yeah, I mean, it definitely, definitely makes sense overall. And I mean, it's the the people who get hurt by higher inflation rates are the ones who are saving a lot of times because the like you were saying wages tend to lag and then if you are saving it's gonna just keep eating into it and 10 percent of inflation is a lot losing 10 percent of your buying power every every year is a huge hit so makes makes investing even more important and staying ahead of it and knowing how to deal with interest rates and that's the hard thing is i was looking at it the other day it's like if if tips don't protect against inflation where do you go to protect yourself against inflation in the short term i don't see it uh, maybe short long growth stocks um crazy growth stocks maybe that's the best way but i was looking at it the other day and every answer I was getting was tips, tips, tips. And you look at tips performance and it's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, 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 would, I would say for inflation, I mean, it's, I guess it's going to be a basket of things. I mean, for me, I think if I look at my portfolio right now, I'm buying more gold. I'm buying um, more bonds. I'm buying uh, short-term bonds and long-term bonds. Um, and usually in inflation, you know, commodities, I, I have owned commodities, and commodities have done really well in the last year and a half. I mean, that, that's something that you, can, that you can buy. The only problem with commodities, uh, especially commodity ETFs, um, is they actually – Typically, most of them hold futures contracts and they roll the futures contracts out. So when they roll the futures contracts, you're it's it's almost like rolling out an option. You're paying a premium uh, for it's it's not even a premium. It's basically the interest. You're paying interest on the margin of the futures contract and for all the fees and everything that's in in with that. But when you put it in an ETF. It's even worse because they're they're rolling out that futures contract incrementally over the month or the or however the ETF structured, so you have a little bit of of decay within the ETF plus the fees that you have to pay for the managers of the ETF. So that's a little that's a hard one. There's almost a little bit of timing if you don't if you don't trade futures um, futures directly. Um, isn't as bad because you can just do one contract at a time. You're not constantly rolling a basket of contracts out. 
across multiple items and it gets a little fuzzy there but i would say as far as just um hedging against inflation i would say uh precious metals have a little bit of um platinum gold silver i would say cryptocurrencies is is an important part of that now i would say commodities across the board uh um you could and also don't forget about copper copper is probably a, a, a decent hedge too uh, just to throw in I, I would say be diversified across um, a few different assets and especially assets that have more upside than downside and and as we've seen you know through the years gold has actually performed very well um across time i mean gold is not very far from an all-time high i think it got to 22 or high 21 uh hundreds for gold and you know we're about 1850 now i wouldn't be surprised if you know inflation continue, continues to run I, I would say gold would be at uh, the highest all-time high it's ever had and the only reason for that it's not like there's that much demand for for gold and we do have a, a constant increase of supply of gold every year it's not very much but they do find more of it and do mine more gold every day um but you know even with them finding more supply i mean the inflation we have had gold is is done pretty well in my opinion yeah and i mean gold is threatened though gold has it's probably the right answer but there there's a lot of there are outflows of money from gold to Bitcoin. Um, so yeah, maybe the right answer is a, a mix, a mix of yeah, gold yeah. and my standard already. You don't want to put too much crypto in because, you know, that's not <laughs> crypto's crypto's a, a volatile and a whole different other kind of drunk way. Um, but, yeah, no, you're, you're probably right. That's probably that's probably a good especially historical answer I, I would still be a little worried about the future on it but getting the right mix and having a little bit in there definitely definitely helps and that's i think it i think if i if i remember right i'm pretty sure gold is in the uh the all-weather portfolio yeah you're talking about like ray dalio dalio's yeah. portfolio yeah yeah it's like so i really like the all-weather portfolio um and there's different ways um, to, to set up something like that. Um, but if I remember correctly, it is 40% um, long-term bonds, 30% stocks, 15% um, um, short-term bonds, 7.5% commodities, and 7.5% gold. That equals a hundred. Yeah, I mean yeah. it's a cool portfolio and it's done very well historically. Um, and that's where when we were having that conversation about leverage the other day, that's one of those ones that popped into my mind is do you double up on leverage, take out everything they have, put it into something like the all weather portfolio, which has historically the worst it's done in a year is 10%. Um then it returns on average eight percent. So you yeah, its volatility is very low. 
So you double that up. So you get the 16% returns minus two and a half percent margin. You're, you should be getting 13 and a half percent with low volatility, but you're on margin. That that's what I was thinking. It, it, it's just a bad idea though. No, I actually, you know what? I actually really like that. Um, I actually run something similar to that. So I don't, I haven't leveraged the, the gold commodities or bonds, um, but I do run a modified version of the, of the all weather. Um, and there's also another one called the golden butterfly. Um, I don't know if you, you're familiar with that. No, no, I am not, um, familiar. It, it's a, it's, it's similar, um, but their, theirs is not, um, broke down in different percentages. It's like 20% gold, 20% stock, 20% short-term bonds, 20% long-term bonds. It's, um, just 20% allocations all the way around to the, I think it's the same asset classes, but they just do 20 and it, it, it's done about the same as the all weather. Uh, I think all weather is my favorite, but what you could do is what you're saying. Honestly, what I do is I do, um, I, I just use cash for the commodities, gold and bonds, but then I use futures contracts to lever my stock uh, portion and I lever the stock portion to equal. So, Say, for example, I have a $100 portfolio um, and I would buy $100, I mean, $100 of my portfolio would go to stocks. If I can get the same exposure for $10 in futures contracts, that represents that full $100 of, um, of, of my money that I would allocate to stocks. Um, so I'm using less money, but I still have that money for that allocation. But then when I do it, the short term, what I do with the money that's left over because I've um, reduced my buying power and I've, I've increased my capital efficiency on the stock portion of my portfolio, like the S&P 500, then I use the other portion of my cash to trade the, um, to trade the statistical models that I built. And that's how I run it. And I, I think it's done really well for me. I, I, returned, um, I returned 25% last year uh running uh that basically i mean you leverage I, I just leverage the stock portion of it but i have considered leveraging the whole thing and honestly you got kind of got me thinking about doing it that way but then you can use the the rest of the cash um for short-term trades or or you know like you i know you do uh options trades uh with some extra cash too so Honestly, I think that it, it depends on how you set up with leverage. I would say in a cash account, it's going to be a little tougher because triple leveraged or double leveraged ETFs is a way of doing it. And, there, and then also just having margin on your account is a way of doing Oh, excuse me, is a way of doing it. Um, I don't know if you've looked into triple leveraged or double leveraged ETFs. Sorry, I was muted. Uh, yeah, I definitely have. But yeah, those always seem just 
I'm risky enough to start with. So <laughs> I, I don't need to, I don't need to lever up like that, but yeah, they're definitely, they're definitely cool to, to see those. And I think it's, it's an interesting idea. I still got to play around with it. I want to come up with an idea and see if there's a way for me to arbitrage some of this dumb money people are throwing out there. Yeah. I do think that the all weather portfolio is really good. Like I said, um, I run a version of it myself. I would say, you know, depending on how you set it up, because there's multiple ways of doing it. I, I like futures. I, I trade a lot of futures. Um, there, there's not, if you're trading futures directly, there's not that much drag in the futures uh, market. You're paying a little bit of like interest uh, and, and fees on you know, having the leverage, but it's all built in the product. Like there's nothing extra that comes out of your account. You trade it like a stock. If it moves up, you make money. If it moves down, it moves money with the exception that the option contract expires, but they have cash settled option. I mean, cash settled futures contracts that you can trade. And there's even small ones. Now the, the small exchange uh, is a small futures contract. So basically, um, there's an oil contract that they have, which is about a $8,500 product. You can trade it with $1,500, um, but you have to have a margin account to do it. Um, so, I mean, it you're getting more bang for your buck and you're using capital efficiency. As long as you don't just lever up on a bunch of oil contracts, I, I think you, you're fine. It's how you, I think it's how you use leverage uh, more than it is that the the leverage itself is bad, but I, I would have no problem honestly doubling up the all weather portfolio using futures contracts, and all you'd have to do is roll them every quarter. You just roll the contracts every quarter, and I mean you could outperform the market in a volatility adjusted risk basis way and in a total performance especially if we have a downturn so i like i like that idea yeah no it, it'd be interesting it's something i gotta play around with model it out a little bit and then if i ever decide to stop trading i'll uh i'll roll with it that way if it uh, if it makes sense yeah and and you can also you know you could do something like i'm doing is you could leverage part of it um or or you could leverage the whole thing but you could do it in a way to where you have extra cash that you can trade the rest of your cash but you know if you have um i hope i hope this is a good example i'm going to say it one more time for our viewers um but if you have a portfolio of let's say a thousand dollars and let's say a $100 of that portfolio is only dedicated to stocks. If that $100 fully invested into stocks with no margin, just a cash account, you'll own that $100 and whatever your returns is on that $100 will be dependent on those stocks movement. But if you take $10 and use a leveraged product like leveraged ETFs or futures, preferably futures, or or you could uh, borrow money from your broker and, and ha have margin on your cash account. So it's, it's still a margin account, but you're margining your cash, not, not a leveraged product. It's slightly different, but you can take that same hundred dollars 
and get, say, a futures contract and only use $10 of actual usable cash to have the same return as you would with that $400. The difference is you still have that $100 that you can make trades with. Now, that doesn't mean you double down and do something stupid and, and blow your account up because you're over leveraging, but that's saying you can use that efficiency and you still have that $100 and maybe you diversify against stocks. Maybe you buy some bonds with it or maybe you make, um, maybe you short um, a stock that you don't like. And so now you've, you've hedged. So really, even though you're leveraged and you're still having a risk on that $100, you're using a portion of that $100 to hedge, but it's still a trade and you're still actively trading your account to hedge this $100. So some of these strategies can get pretty complicated, but there's a lot of opportunity to actually reduce risk and diversify and use capital in an efficient way that can help you outperform, uh, outperform the S&P 500 on a risk volatility basis. Uh, and on a total return basis. I, um, and that's basically how I do my strategy. Um, and I, I underperformed the market by like 4% this last year, which I'm not happy with. Uh, but at the same time, I had less volatility. So it's definitely something to think about. I think um, maybe leveraging the whole thing, like Fat Baby was saying, because your volatility doesn't really increase more than just buying the S&P 500 would. Because if you have a 10% drawdown, or you leverage it and you have a 20% drawdown, the S&P 500 has had 50% drawdowns in its existence versus the all weathers only had 10. So if you double it, your volatility, you're not really taking more, I mean, theoretically, you're not taking more risk and you're still getting a, a hell of a return. So I kind of like it. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be fun to play around with and see, see how it works. But yeah, it's an interesting idea with the, all the, all the easy money that people are throwing around right now. Yeah, for sure. A lot of YOLO and options uh, on calls, it, it seems like. So you probably, I mean, it's kind of hard. It has been hard to sell any type of call because things have exploded to the upside. So I don't even know that that's a good play. But there's definitely some money that's being thrown out here that people are not being strategic with that if you are strategic with, uh, you know, that's where I think the edge is in the market is uh, it's a strategic edge. So I think that's um, that's where people can look. But, yeah, as uh, I'm sure Fat Baby's going to break out some spreadsheets and uh, he'll have to share anything he comes up with on the all-weather portfolio. And, and uh, you know, stay tuned for that. We'll, we'll definitely have a conversation maybe with uh, Chris on this. Chris will be back um, next week, I'm assuming, as long as he's not too busy. And uh, I think that's all I have. Do you have anything else to add? We'll go ahead and wrap it up here. No, that's uh, that's all I got. All right, cool deal. Yeah, um, you know, a lot of uncertainty right now in the markets, a lot of opportunity in the markets, and another trading day we'll have again tomorrow. So everyone be safe with the weather. If you are in a part of the country that is having some ice and some snow, be safe, um, be well, and uh, make some money, and we'll see you guys next week.